to Genesis chapter 1. The very beginning of the Bible is where this series is going to start. I'm going to read the text, and then um, we're going to walk through it um, after a brief introduction. So we're going to read Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5, then Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. So friends, these verses are also in your bulletin on the inside cover of the back. And so um, listen now, this is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we are beginning a series today on rest. These are sermons for Sabbath. And I want to talk first about why we need this, because maybe there's one of you that doesn't think you need this out there, so I want to convince that one person out there who doesn't think they need to rest. Um, Why we need this, and this is in your bulletin, Uh, there's not a blank there, but a space to to take notes. Um, We need this because we are busy beyond measure, are we not? We need this because we are overwhelmed, because for so many of us, our lives are out of control, and they are not only out of control, they are out of our control. Right? We need this because we have people and commitments and responsibilities that demand more time than we have. Are you with me? <laughs> um, and it's crazy because even the options that we have for rest, like some of us know we need rest, but then the options that are given to us by our culture and by the world, these rest options that come to us as entertainment, they actually make us enslaved to more time demands, right? Netflix can become enslaving. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, these can become enslaving because they're supposed to entertain, but they end up just being this constant demand of our time, right? Things we have to keep up with. And so in this series, we are not going to take back control of our schedules. Okay, we're not going to do that. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to give God our schedules. And what we're going to find out is that God is your loving and heavenly Father. That's what you're going to learn. God is good and kind. God is gracious and generous. God did not build the world so that you would feel constantly overwhelmed. It was not his design. And God has built into the fabric of creation, into the creation itself, a plan that will lead you to a place of rest. And this is what we're going to see over the course of this series. We're going to spend five weeks. First, we're going to look today at a theology of time. Okay, next week we're going to look at gospel-centered rest. And then what we're going to do is we're going to dismantle the three biggest idols that are in your life and mine that make us feel overwhelmed. Okay? 
So we're going to look at idol number one, our economy, and how our economy actually robs us for the ability to experience rest. We're going to look at entertainment and how entertainment robs us from the experience of rest. And then finally, we're going to look at busyness and how busyness, a culture of busyness, is an idol that keeps us from experiencing rest. So if you know anybody that would want a God's eye perspective on any of this, please invite them. Welcome. This is going to be incredibly practical, very insightful and challenging for us. Um, you can invite them to come or you can have them listen to the messages when they get up on the website. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to start at the foundation and we're going to look at a lifestyle where you won't feel overspent. Okay? We're going to look at a lifestyle where you don't feel overtaxed. This is going to affect everything about how you think and plan. And it's going to affect the pace of life that you choose to live. And I want to start by saying, I mean, it's kind of like Chad, full disclosure. Um, I've been wanting to preach on rest for a long time. And I have felt like I can't do that. I felt like I haven't seen enough growth. I haven't mastered this area in my life. And so who am I to stand up before people and call them to something that I see in so many ways are, are just difficult and challenging for me, ways that I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Um, and so I have grown. I have grown a lot in learning how to rest over the course of the last, I guess, nine months or so. Um, and so I don't have it all figured out. I am not fully formed in this. I certainly don't have all the answers, um, but I have come into contact with real rest, and I have come into contact with the God who gives us rest, and that's, that's what I want to share with you over the next five weeks. This subject of rest and the sense of the overwhelm that we live with, it's not a simple issue. Okay, what we're going to see in this series are, are things that are not easy. They, they won't solve all of your problems. Okay, the, the sermons will affect you in all the issues of life, but I'm not promising an end to the issues of life. Okay, because sometimes, I mean, well, all the time, like stuff's complicated, and there are things that go on in your life that contribute to the sense of overwhelm and overload that you feel that are outside of your control. Okay, there are some things that you're going to be able to do to make marked improvement and have significant growth, but we still live in a fallen world. Okay? We still live in a fallen world, and even with the presence of God with us, there are, there's brokenness that we're going to wrestle with. So I just want to set your expectations. Okay? Um, at the end of five weeks, you're not going to be perfect, but I think if you do what, what the scriptures say, if you follow God's plan that's built into the fabric of creation, if you let these things become a part of you, you will see a major change. Okay? And so today we're going to start with a theology of time. Not all time is equal, nor is all thinking about time equal. There is a way to think about time that will make your life worse. And there's a way to think about time that will make your life better. And I want you to see God's design for time because I want you to be convinced that God is the God of time. I want you to be convinced that God is the God of your time. And if you want to know what to do with the sense of overwhelm, what to do with your schedule, you can go to God and you can commune with him and find hope and find like growth. God invented time. God knows how time can be used to bless our lives, not control our lives. 
and even in the most mundane details of your life. As we're going to see today, you're going to see, wow, the Bible talks about this stuff. And it doesn't get into the minutia of our lives because it wants to control us. It gets into the minutia of our lives because it wants the good news of who God is to come and meet us in the minutia and the details. And so, we're going to look first at the way that God built time. This is there in your, uh, in your bulletin. The way that God built time. And we see from Genesis 1.1, it starts off with the phrase, in the beginning. In the beginning. This is significant. Why? Well, because of this. This is the blank for you. In the beginning means that this is going somewhere. Moses began the whole Bible, right? Moses began the book of Genesis by saying, in the beginning. What he's saying is that there was a beginning to creation. When Moses wrote this, there were other views of creation. There was a prevailing view. Even when the New Testament was written, the same view was was common, both in Genesis and in the New Testament. A lot of people thought that the world has just always existed. It has been here forever. And because they thought that, they believed that time was really just cycles that were unending and repeating forever. Like literally going around in circles. No beginning, no end, no real movement, and so no purpose. This was a prevailing view when the Bible was written. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is a beginning. There is a starting point. And even though you weren't there, you can have confidence that God has told us that creation had a beginning. And so, we, so the way God built time is that it had a beginning. The next word we see in, uh, in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So what we see there is that God gives our time meaning. Okay, God created it all. God was there in the beginning, and so God is the beginning. God is the purpose. He's the reason. And if you want to understand the purpose of time, the reason for time, if you want to know where this is all going, the answer begins with God. The answer begins with God. So then we see that there's a pattern that forms. Uh, In verse 5, it says that God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so what we see here is that there's actually a daily rhythm that is built into the fabric of creation. Okay, the way that God built the world had a daily rhythm to it. And so you see here, there's time pieces here. There's light, there's dark, there's morning and there's evening. And let me just say that it doesn't matter what your view is of the age of the earth. It doesn't even matter what your opinion is of or whether Genesis 1 is a poem that's not supposed to be taken scientifically or historically, or whether you believe that, um, that evolution is, or you know, God ordained evolution and sort of orchestrated it. It doesn't really matter um, what you believe about the origin of the earth and how long it's been. What does matter is that God inspired Moses to describe the creation of the world as a week where God was at work. And the reason this is important is because God, again, has built into the fabric of creation an understanding of time. 
And so what I'm going to say fits whether or not Genesis 1 is literally true or not. Okay? So I don't want you to get hung up on that as we do this. But this idea here that the evening and the morning were the first day. We see here, so God built the world. Like, it's like sort of the, the light was there, and then it got dark. And then the evening and the morning comes. And then you have the next day. And so what happens here is that then on the second day, God does something. And then at the end of the day, he rests. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And then God gets up at dawn. He works again. And then the evening and the morning of the third day, the evening and the morning of the fourth day, the evening and the morning of the fifth day, sixth day, right? And so what happened here is that God's created a sequence. There are two parts of every day. God worked during the day, and then he stopped at night. And when morning came, it was the beginning of the next day. And so we see that there was, just, there was a time where God worked and a time where God rested. Okay? This doesn't mean it's wrong to have the graveyard shift. Okay? If you're sort of tracking with, okay, I know where this is going. Um, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that God has built our bodies. He's built the world. He's built creation so that there's a time to work and a time to rest. Okay? So let me show you then what happens next. And then Genesis 2, it says, The heavens and the earth were finished. In verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished the work he'd done, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And so what we see here is the seventh day, God rested, blessed, and made it sacred. This is what God did on the seventh day. He sanctified it. He made it holy. He made it sacred because in that he rested. And so I want you to see this here. I want you to understand what's going on here. Um, the Bible says that God is all-powerful. The Bible says God never gets tired. The Bible says God doesn't slumber or sleep. And yet, at the end of the sixth day, God rested. He rested. He blessed the seventh day. He made it, he sanctified it. Right? He made it holy. And so what we see here is that on the seventh day, God puts a blessing on one day in seven, God puts a blessing. It's, it's, it's like a gift that God gives to the weak. And he puts it on this one particular day, and then he invites us to receive that gift. Okay? He invites us to receive that gift. And how do we do that? By resting. We receive this gift, this sacredness, this, this blessing by joining God and resting with him. God rests on the seventh day. He sets it apart. He makes it holy and special. And so it's different from the other days. It's different. And so if you enter in with God and rest on the seventh day, you will receive this blessing. This is how God built time. And if you go with it, you'll be blessed. If you live in this pattern of six plus one, Right? Six days you have to work, and then one day you set aside to rest and to make it sacred. This is how God has built the world. If you join him in this pattern, you will find things about your life, things about your body will feel truer. Um, there's a blessing that goes with this. If you buck against this, your life will not function as well. And so I want us to look then at the next thing that, that I want you to notice uh, about the seventh day. Because what, what we don't see, uh, this is number five, 
what we, uh, what we don't see is that the seventh day, it has no ending. So in the narrative, I don't know if you've seen this before, but it's pretty common that, uh, well, anybody who had sort of heard this, if you ever heard it out loud, if you ever read Genesis 1 to, to a group of children or to your kids, there's like sort of a rhythmic pattern to it. You know, God does something, and then it says, and the evening, and was mo- it was evening, and there was morning the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And by the third or fourth time, if you have kids around you, they're going to jump in and chime in. They're going to start saying it with you. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day, and the evening and the morning the fifth day, the sixth day. And then when you get there, and then you move on, they're going to go, wait, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. Just say, wait, 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 what happened? Where, where, where'd the chorus go? It's, it's obvious. Um, to people that are reading this and understanding the narrative flow of this, that, wait a second, there's something missing here. The seventh day has no end. Evening never comes on the seventh day. Why? Well, it's because time in creation is going somewhere. Time and creation is going somewhere. Every week from the beginning, God is saying, I want you to look into the future because there is coming not just a one day of rest in the week, but there is coming a rest that will last forever. God rested on the seventh day and set it apart as holy and invites us on the seventh day to experience his rest as a foretaste that there is coming a rest that will never end. God's rest doesn't end. And so even from the beginning, God is saying, look, creation is going somewhere. Time is going somewhere. There is an eternal rest that I am offering to all of humanity. There is an eternal rest that is waiting for you. And every week, I never want you to forget what's coming. Uh, One author said this. One author author said that, that the seventh day without ending shows that the creator had triumphed over chaos and brought in eternal life. So, creation's going somewhere. God is the source of its meaning. There's a daily rhythm. The seventh day is a day that is to be set apart, sanctified, made holy, and special. Um, And the seventh day has no ending. God's seventh day, the first creation week, has, has no ending. Now, you might be thinking, hey, Stephen, okay, I see this now. It's obviously in the Genesis text. This is interesting. So why are we here today? Like, why didn't we gather yesterday? Right? The seventh day. God said this really clear. This, the, the blessing that you've talked about, the blessing that you've made me kind of curious about now, that blessing's on the seventh day. That was yesterday. What are we doing here today? If, if this was God's plan, if this was built into the fabric of creation, then what are we doing here on a Sunday? I mean, to move the day that God has blessed from Saturday to Sunday is a huge shift, to say the least, right? In order for something that God built into creation to change, something creation-altering would have to happen 
wouldn't it? Like something that actually changes creation itself would need to happen in order to move the day that God blessed from the seventh day to the first. Well, guess what? Well, guess what? It did. Something creation-altering did happen. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked out of the grave. About 2,000 years ago, a human being stepped out of this creation into the new creation. That the resurrection of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, he renews time for us. Jesus renews time for us. Jesus rose from the grave to begin a new creation. How do I know this? Well, because if you read the Gospel of John, this is the story John is telling from beginning to end. Right? Have you seen this before? John's Gospel retells the biblical story from the beginning to the renewal of time. Okay? Let me show you this. John 1.1, 1, 1, what does it say? How does the book begin? In the beginning. Wow, how does the book of Genesis begin? In the beginning. That's not a coincidence. John is intentionally going back, all the way back, and he's saying, in Jesus, creation is starting over. John 1.1-3, 1, 1 in the beginning was not God, but now the Word. Huh, the Word, that's weird, what's that? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So here we have John quoting language, taking the language of Genesis 1, and giving it to us, right, in this different way. Now he's throwing in not God, but now you have this Word. And, you know, if you're reading it for the first time, you're thinking, huh, what's that? Well, you find out in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the God who was with God in the beginning, who made all things, became flesh. That in Jesus, the God who created the world, entered into the creation that he made. So we see here, this is the beginning of a new creation week. right? And as you read John's Gospel, it goes on. Now this isn't an exact science, but John is consistently keeping track of the days. So in my Bible, in John's Gospel, every time it says on the next day, I actually underlined it because I wanted to count it all up. And look, this is what we see. John 1.29, it says the next day. John 1.43, it says the next day. John 2.1, it says on the third day. Interesting. John 6.22, on the next day. John 12.12, 12, the next day. John 19, it says now, it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. John 19.14, this is Good Friday. Good Friday. Friday. Let's see, what day of the week is Friday? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the sixth day of the week. So at the end of the sixth day, where's Jesus? He's hanging on a cross, right? Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is hanging on a cross to show us the pain that our sin has caused to God. Jesus is hanging on the cross to show us the price that our sin must pay. He's hanging on the cross also to show the boundless and sacrificial love that God has for the world, for us. 
And at the end of the sixth day, right before Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The work that Jesus came to do was finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He finished the work of living and dying for the world to bring them back to God. And so John's gospel presents the 33 years of Jesus' life as a new creation week, as God the Son comes to do what we could never do. And what happens on Saturday? On the seventh day, Jesus rests in the grave. He rests in the grave. He rests in the earth from all the work God gave him to do. He rested because it was finished. Friends, the gospel doesn't end there. The story of Jesus doesn't end there because look what it says in John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, John is clear to say that it happened on the first day of the week. Why? Because This is not just some fancy miracle, but Jesus is beginning the first day of a new creation. You understand this? Can you see it? I mean, Jesus is beginning something new. He has passed. His body is different. different. He's able to pass through doors. He's able to, I mean, just do weird stuff. He's able to disappear. He's got this body from another creation. Right? He's got a body where in some ways he's recognizable, in other ways they still don't really understand. Like, you know, it's like they, they can't recognize him. And what's happening here is that Jesus is beginning a new creation. This is the first day of the new creation. And here's what's awesome. Here's what's awesome is that, that 20 verses later it says this. In John 20, 26, it says eight days later. And we get the story of one of the appearances of Jesus. The eighth day. The eighth day, that's seven plus one. And that's not just math. (laughs) There's theological significance to the eighth day. Right, friends, this means that Jesus has passed through this earthly age and has emerged on the other side, on the first day of the new creation. The resurrection of Jesus is the dawning of the new age. It's the dawning of a new existence. The end of Jesus' work was to take away sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west so that we could be forgiven, so that we could rejoin God in what he's doing on earth. Um, And when he rose from the dead, it's new creation. It's new creation. So, and, And the early church saw this. The followers of Jesus saw this. The people who followed Jesus, this was a shift that was so powerful. It was so important that they wanted to celebrate the beginning of the new creation. The day of worship moved from Saturday to Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. People didn't want to just simply look forward to the future, but they also wanted to look back on that first Sunday. They wanted to look back every Sunday and rehearse what Jesus said that it is finished. It is finished. Jesus, and because he is risen, we know it is finished. 
Salvation has been accomplished. Ignatius was a guy who was martyred between around 100 AD. So may have known Jesus, but certainly knew the disciples that followed Jesus. He said this, he said, Christians attained a new hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but observing the Lord's day on which our life too rose through him and through his death. And so you see here, and you can look, there's, if you just look up the, the first day of the week or the Lord's day, you'll see it. It shows up in six or seven places in the New Testament. There's this clear sense that the church was gathering on the first day of the week, uh, that they realized that what Jesus had done was creation-altering. And because of what Jesus has done, there needed to be a new way to celebrate. There needed to be a new thing that represents not just the future where creation's going, but to be able to look back and say, wow, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And so this, this is how we're supposed to experience rest. We're supposed to celebrate Jesus and to think about Jesus. This is supposed to inform um, all that we do now when we think about Sundays. And and one passage that that illustrates this that I love is in Hebrews chapter 1. It says this, it says... Verse 1, it says, um, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So when Jesus said it was finished, he went to sit down in the presence of God. For the Jews who received this book of Hebrews, that was mind-blowing. Because for them, the presence of God was in the temple and the tabernacle. And there was a place where God sat. He was enthroned on the cherubim, it says. He was enthroned. He sat on the Ark of the Covenant. There was a throne there for God to sit. But besides that... There was no other place where anyone could sit. There was no stool, there was no chair, because, frankly, the work was never done. And so daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, the priests would go into the temple and they would offer sacrifice in hope, in hope that God would forgive They would offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Once a year, the high priest could go into the very presence of the throne of God. It was the only time anybody was allowed in there. Um, And there's some verses that make it sound like he had bells around the hem of his robe. And the tradition says they actually tied a rope around his waist. Because if he went in there and did anything wrong, he would be struck dead. And so they listened for the bells. And if the bells ever stopped, they knew they were going to have to drag him out by the rope. And yet, friends, what Hebrews 1 tells us is that after making purification for sins, after saying on the cross that it is finished, Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down. Friends, this is glorious and revolutionary. If you can wrap your mind around this. 
for us, for you, the work has been finished. For you, yeah, hallelujah. For you, there is an inheritance that is waiting for you. For you, there is, a, a, there is a, an abode waiting. There is, a, there is a home waiting for you. And it is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus. That's how sure you can be. That's how sure you can be. Because for, from G, for what Jesus has done. And so for us, for us, the Sabbath, the, the Lord's day, it doesn't say do this. Yeah, the Lord's day says it is done. It is over. What Jesus has done is sufficient. This is what now the first day of the week is for us. That God has built into creation a theology of time that enables you to realize we're not just spinning in circles, but we're heading somewhere. And we're heading somewhere not because we have been good enough, but because Jesus has been good enough. This is the gospel. We're not just heading somewhere hoping we'll make it, but we're heading somewhere with joy, knowing that Jesus has already made it. And friends, when we can enter in, when we can enter into this day with that assurance, it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes our hearts changes our minds. It changes how we think about what we're doing. And so we're going to be spending the rest of this series talking about this, about not only God's plan for time, but how Jesus renews time. But I do want to make sure that we get a firm grasp on a place to start. Okay? Let's talk about where do we start. Okay, we're not going to say the end. We're not going to say the last thing that needs to be said about the Sabbath, about rest for us, but we're just going to begin this week, and each week we're going to build. Okay, each week is going to build. And so in your bulletin, it says where we start. Here it is. Take Sundays off and make Sunday sacred. Okay, so take and make. Take Sundays off. Make Sundays sacred. Well, we'll talk about that, right? Someone just said, if you can. If you can. We're going to talk about that. But taking Sunday off, what does this mean practically? This means taking a 24-hour period of time around Sunday where you cease from your primary vocation. Okay? Understand and identify what is your work. What is your work? And during 24-hour period around Sunday, um, stop doing that. Rest from your work. Now, the Jews observed Sabbath from evening to evening. So Friday sundown is when they started observing it, and then they stopped observing it Saturday sundown. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think Saturday night, you know, Saturday sundown until Sunday sundown is, is, is really best because it helps you prepare for Sunday. You know, Sunday morning starts Saturday night was the way the old phrase used to go. Um, so it helps you prepare to worship God here. Um, but it also ends Sunday at sundown so that you have time to plan and prepare for Monday. Now, if you absolutely can't do Sunday, like, and I understand that sometimes you've got jobs, you've got work, you've got obligations, um, so if you absolutely can't uh, do it on Sunday, um, then pick another 24-hour period of time. 
Okay, again, I think Sundays are best because making the day sacred fits well with joining the church family in worship. Um, but, uh, but I mean, even, even back then in the early church, I mean, Jesus said the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the idea here is that God has made this for us as a gift. He's made this for us because we need it. And it's not designed to become an overarching, like legalistic kind of thing, right? And so if you can't do it on Sundays, then pick a day. One author said, select and protect the day, okay? Pick a day, and then you're going to have to protect it, because I can tell you something right now. The, the culture, um, the world, and the devil are going to fight you tooth and nail, and they're going to give you every reason possible that they can imagine and throw at you to try to disrupt your ability to take 24 hours off. My experience has been um, that you're going to come to some conclusions if you try to do this, if you try to join God in resting, if you try to enter in and, and respond to God's invitation to rest on Sundays. Um, you're going to find that some things need to wait. Okay? Some things need to wait. You're also going to find that some things will go undone. And we'll talk about more of this in the weeks to come, but you're going to have to get used to that reality. If you want to, I'm serious, like if you want to say yes to God in keeping a Christian Sabbath, there are going to be other things that you may not be able to say yes to. And so, what does this mean? Like, what does it mean to make the day sacred? So taking Sundays off, this means stop your primary vocation. Right? Whatever you do for a living, stop doing that for 24 hours. And we'll talk all about why and how this works and why did God make us this way. There's all great reasons, but so right now we're just going to stick with, with that's, that's what it is. Um, but uh, in terms of making the day sacred, what you want to do is God made the day holy. Right? That's what it says in Genesis 2. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. And so you want to set this day aside to God. You want to honor God with the day. Um, one author says something that we're going to dive into in more detail. Eugene Peterson says, this is a day to pray and play. A day to pray and play. So you want to connect with God in a special way. Church is a wonderful way to do that. And then you want to enjoy the day as a gift from God. I mean, even Jesus did this. Like, how many times do we see in the scriptures, it says Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. You can look those things up this week, and you can see that Jesus did this. The synagogue was where God's people gathered back then. And so what you want to do is you want to set aside this day. You want to set aside this time to create a time so that you can feel rest and you can feel like it's special. So rest and special. Now, in this, and again, there are exceptions that you see. There's all kinds of fights about how to observe the Sabbath in the New Testament, and, um, and Jesus typically is telling the religious leaders, guys, relax. Relax and try to understand what this is for, like what the purpose is. Jesus says that you can respond to emergencies. 
Jesus says that you can provide food, right? So there are, um, our confession says works of necessity and works of mercy are good things to do or are permissible to do on this special day. Um, but what you want to do, and again, I want to just give you this right now as we start. I want, to, I want you to ask God. I want you to spend time with God, um, with other people, and say, am I taking Sundays off? Am I making Sundays special? And ask yourself, how can I do that? What are the things that I can say yes to? What are the things I have to say no to in order for that to happen? Um, and I do want to say that, um, that if you have a family, right, there are, there's like a division of labor in most families. Ask yourself the question, what would it look like for everyone to be able in some way to be able to take Sundays off, right? If someone's primary vocation is cooking and cleaning in the house because they are caring for the home and bringing renewal into the home and maintaining the home in ways that image God, what would it look like for that person to be able to take Sundays off? You want to have that conversation. Um, you want to work together to figure out what that looks like. In all of this, in all of this, um, to not do this, to not take Sundays off, to not make Sundays sacred, is to live as though there is no direction to time. No end to the cycle. But every time you say yes to God, every time you say yes to resting and to making it sacred, you tell yourself, you tell God, you tell the world and your community, we're going somewhere. There is meaning here. And we're going to see the glorious meaning that all of life receives when you set aside one day in seven. There are five weeks between now and Easter. And I want to challenge you and invite you for the next, so starting today, and I realize today might be, you've already planned out your day and you can't undo it. I mean, I get that, but maybe today, but certainly next week, take the weeks that lead up to Easter and just say, look, I'm going to try this for the next five weeks and see what happens. Try it and see what happens. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you do care about us. You care about our time and the way you've built the world, the way you've built time to work is very far from so many of us. We confess that we don't think this way. We confess that, um, that this, is, this, is a, this is a significant turn from the direction that, that many of our lives are headed in terms of our time. And we ask you for help. Will you please be with us? Um, some of us uh, have fear running through our heads now. Like, how? There's no way. I can't afford to do this. I don't have time to do this. I can't set aside this time. Lord, would you, would you come in the spirit of your Son and remind each one of us that it is finished? Jesus, thank you for sitting down. Help us today. Help us on Sundays going forward to sit down with you. 
And Jesus, for those who are here and they don't know you, they're not Christians at this point, would you show them? Would you show them that this is how life is? This is how our muscles work. This is how our bodies operate. We need rest. Would you help each one of us to come to you and say, Jesus, we've done it our own way and it hasn't worked. Now we want to try it your way for four or five weeks. Please meet us as we do that. We pray this in your name. Amen.